We welcome you again on this uh, third Sunday of Lent, leading up to Easter, thinking of the face of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark and how that speaks to our own faith journey as, as we uh, travel through this season of Lent, a time of preparation, a time of expectation of what uh, Christ is calling us to. Uh, in this chapter two of Mark, we don't really look at it, but we hear the call of Matthew, Matthew the tax collector. And it's interesting that, that Jesus just calls Matthew. He's walking by and he says, come follow me. And we're told that Matthew gets up and follows. And it's an immediate response. He wants to travel with Jesus. He sees this as an opportunity to, uh, you know, strengthen his own life, fulfill his own life, a new opportunity to follow. And so Lent is an invitation for us to journey, to follow. In whatever season we are in life, younger, older, middle-aged, we are always invited to come and follow Christ and to look to the God who comes towards us constantly. So our journey through Lent, as we look, as Mark calls it, the gospel of God. So we begin our text in Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. We begin with the first few verses. When he, that is Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after having dug through it, they let down the man, the mat on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this story has always struck me as a, an interesting story, a funny story, amusing that such an event would happen, you know, as, as Christ was speaking. So the context is Jesus has been preaching about the kingdom of God and he's been traveling throughout uh, portions of Galilee. And as we begin chapter two, uh, we're told that Christ returns to Capernaum, which you remember is his home base for these three years of ministry. He came from Nazareth up in the hills, the Judean hills, has come down to uh, Capernaum to live for these years. So it was a new place, a new setting, you know, on the water, Lake Galilee. It was a new time for Christ. I'm sure he quite enjoyed the, the change of scenery of the Lake of Galilee from the Judean hills. But he returns after this preaching tour, and we're told that his fame is growing. He's, he's doing amazing miracles and people are really struck by who this person is, what he's saying, what he's doing, you can just imagine. So he now is in Capernaum and we're told that he is preaching the word at a home, most likely Simon Peter's house. We know that Simon was from Capernaum. So he's probably at that house and he's preaching the word. So we're reminded that Jesus' ministry is preaching, teaching, and healing. 
It's a threefold ministry. And at the core is preaching, is the kerygma. It's the story of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is drawing near. So when Jesus is preaching that, he's most likely looking at Old Testament text that speaks about the Messiah coming, God's new work in Israel, what that will mean uh, for the nation, for other nations, for the whole world. He's preaching the word. It's central activity of Christ. And the house is packed. There's a lot of energy. It's like teaching a classroom and the class is full and people are really into it and they're with you. There's a certain buzz that happens in those environments. If people are half asleep, you know, that's, it's, hard to, it's harder to really stay engaged. Well, Jesus is engaged because the place is full. He's speaking. People are attentive. That's, that's the scene here. And while he's speaking, they, they hear some noise, and they, they, it's coming from the roof. And the simple homes in that day had a flat roof, and often there would be some stairs that would go outside the house up to the, the roof. And in Bolivia, there are lots of homes like this, particularly in the smaller cities uh, around the big ones. I remember going to a student's house in a small town outside of Oruro for lunch. And his father was the butcher. He was the butcher in that town. And I went into his shop. There's meat everywhere around. And then there, indeed, there were stairs that went up from inside up to the roof, flat roof. We had our lunch up on the flat roof looking over the town. Well, in this house, stairs up outside, they go up, and then they start removing the panels at the top of the house. And they, they create a space, and they lower their friend on a mat down to Jesus. So it's, it's an amazing story, right? It would be perseverance, the ingenuity of the friends, the discipline of the friends, and they are friends. The text, it just talks about the men, but for people to go to all that work, it's most likely that indeed they were the friends of this individual, and they wanted to get him to Jesus so that Jesus would make him well. They had heard that there were these amazing stories of miracles. They had confidence and faith that Jesus would indeed heal their friend. And so in the midst of Jesus' teaching, you know, the roof is opened and this man is lowered. Well, Jesus is obviously impressed. And he is impressed particularly with the faith of the friends, that they would go to all this effort. That's what's said in the text. In verse 5, it reads, when Jesus saw their faith. So it's the first time actually in Mark that the word faith is used as a noun. When Jesus saw their faith, and it's their faith, it isn't the paralytic's faith. We don't know if the paralytic had faith or not. It's the friends who were doing all the work, and they are the ones that bring him, and Jesus is impressed with their faith. And then he says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now that is a bit of a surprising statement because we don't anticipate that, right? We anticipate Jesus saying, sir, you are made well, you know, rise up and walk and you can be free to go. That's what we're anticipating is the healing. 
But interesting that Jesus begins by saying, your sins are forgiven. So a couple of issues are going on here. So one, we back up the faith of the friends. You know, it speaks to us in terms of our own work and effort on behalf of others. People we know who we're concerned about to pray for them. You know, does God hear our prayers for others? Well, this story tells us that God and Christ are very conscious of our concern for others. And indeed, that God works in such a way, Jesus works on behalf of our faith in certain situations, whether the individual has faith or not. So God can work in these mysterious ways. God's brilliance, the mysterium tremendum, the great mystery of God in Christ. So it behooves us in these situations to hang in there and hang in there and be diligent even as these friends are diligent for their friend who's ill and, and not well. So it does remind us, maybe encourages us a bit, a bit of hope for those that we've been praying for not to lose hope, but to keep persevering, being diligent in our concern for them because God does indeed hear our prayers. Secondly, then, there is this issue of Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. Why does he begin there? Well, you know, metaphorically, we can think in terms of sin. Well, sin can have a paralyzing effect on us, an impact of keeping us stuck. So we are paralyzed, and it's like we can't even move. We, you know, I mean, you can move, but we don't. We just feel stuck. And so we get in that hole, and it's just like we keep digging it deeper and deeper and deeper. We almost cannot move our bodies to get out. And so sin does have this paralyzing impact on us. So we don't know this man's story. We don't know at all, but Jesus knows, and he begins by saying, son, your sins are forgiven. So that paralysis that that man is experiencing, in what way, how is that impacting his body, what is the root cause of that, perhaps there is some connection with events in the past, his own attitudes, his own actions, which are keeping him stuck. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's why the friends are, they're, they're at, you know, what else can we do for this guy? Let's bring him to Jesus because at their end of, they're at the end of the rope. Well, Jesus knows and he begins there. And so again, we are to be mindful of our own situations, mindful of our besetting sins and how they can impact us and cause us to be paralyzed, less mobile, less fresh, less empowered to move out and to do new things because we're stuck in this hole. Maybe we need to go to Jesus with those concerns so that he can free us and uh, cause us to be unstuck so that we can go forward. So that's where the story begins. Interesting. The text goes on. Now, some of the scribes or teachers of the law were sitting there, so they're in the house. And they're questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's what they're thinking about. And if we're quite honest, that's not an unreasonable thought. If you're sitting there listening to someone and all of a sudden the person says your sins are forgiven to someone, you might think, well, okay, how does that work? How can you forgive the sins of someone else? If you have been wrong, then you could forgive someone, but how do you do that for someone else? So this is beginning to turn around in their hearts and their minds. How can that be? And they even go to the issue, it is blasphemy. Well, in the Jewish Torah, to be blasphemous, to speak blasphemies against God was, I mean, that was a big deal. And finally, Christ is crucified three years later because he was charged with blasphemy. So this, this story is already setting the concern at a very high level. They're, they don't know what to make with Jesus and these statements. We know as readers that Jesus is the Son of God because Mark has introduced Christ that way in Mark 1.1. So we know, but the people right there don't know that fact. And so the teachers of the law are wondering, okay, what do we do with this guy? So Jesus encounters opposition. The religious leaders are the gatekeepers. Who can forgive but God? And this starts the opposition. And of course, we know all the way through Jesus' ministry there is opposition. They don't know what to do with what Jesus is doing, these new ways, these new teachings. They don't understand. God is doing a new thing. Behold, God, this is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God draws near. That would suggest that there are going to be new ways of doing things. We don't like change. These religious leaders didn't like change that they didn't understand, and they, they resist. So opposition begins to happen in the story. Jesus understands this. The text goes on. At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Then he poses, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? Then he argues, but so that you may know that the Son of Man, which is a reference to himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, and then note, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus then knows about the opposition. He knows what these religious leaders, these bright people, erudite people, what they're thinking. And so Jesus addresses the question right on. He says, what's easier, for me to say, I forgive your sins, or to heal? Well, words are going to be easier than actions, right? So it's easier to think that he can forgive sins than actually to heal this person who's been lame his entire life. So Jesus introduces the term the Son of Man. Son of Man just means a reference to a human being. We are all Son of 
man in that sense, man, woman, we are human. But at a deeper sense, it has a prophetic overtone and we can read that in Daniel 7, 13, 14. It's a prophetic term speaking of a representative of God, the Messiah. Daniel writes, as I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being coming, or son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kinship is one that shall never be destroyed. So this is Daniel's prophecy of this son of man who will come and who will ultimately be God's representative and do amazing things. That's Daniel's vision, looking ahead. So Jesus references himself as the son of man. So if I am the son of man, then these things can be done. And so indeed he heals the paralytic. What's easier, can I forgive sins or heal? And just to make his point, he heals the paralytic, the man gets up and walks away. And by the way, he is a poor man because the mat that he is using is called a kravitas, he is poor. It is Jesus lining himself once again with the poor, with poverty, being in solidarity with the hurting of the world. Jesus takes all this time and effort and energy to heal this one poor man who is sick. That's Jesus' identification with us. And then as a response to that, we see two different responses. The, the teachers of the law are critical, but the people just say, wow, and praise God. Wow, did you see that? This individual who we know, it's Capernaum, they would know, they've seen him walk, being around and being carried and whatever way he can move. We see this person and he's healed and they give praise to God. So we can either critique or we can praise. And so these people give praise. So it's a, it's a very interesting story. It's a layered story, right? It's funny, but it's also profound because Jesus, for the first time, introduces this language of the Son of Man. He will reference himself that way a few times in the Gospel of Mark. And it speaks about the first time of faith. So a lot going on here. So as we close, what are a few points of application? Well, one, I think we can see that as Jesus introduces this new kingdom of God, God coming newly to the people, to Israel, we can acknowledge that there seems to be an inability of old structures to be able to hold and respond to Jesus' new teaching. Jesus is working in a new way that the old structures can't, can't handle. The old wineskins can't handle the new wine of Jesus. And so the kingdom of God comes and works in new ways. And so, you know, it calls us. It calls us as individuals. It calls us as a community of faith. Are we able to embrace the new ways, the new methodologies, the new ways of going forward that we need to in this new day. We're coming out of COVID. It's a new day. 
So it's not just going back to the old way, the old normal. How do we respond now? This is part of the challenge that we all need to be thinking about for the church going forward. Because maybe the old structures can't handle the ways that we need to do now in this new time. So number one, the inability of old structures to contain Jesus' new teaching. Secondly, we've already noted that sin can paralyze us. To be mindful of our own sin. To be mindful of how we can hold on to the old ways just because we kind of like it. We kind of like being there in some ways, even though it restricts us. But we can hold on to that challenge and that difficulty and that sin. Just because we don't want to move forward. Sin can paralyze us. We remain stuck. Thirdly, we see Jesus' methodology, which this I like. Jesus says, come. The next story is of Levi, the tax collector. I referenced that. And sinners that come to Levi's house to meet Jesus. And Jesus' invitation is come. And then... We work together, and ultimately people are changed. His approach is not this. Be changed first, and then come. Jesus never approaches it that way. It's come, and then be changed. It's not, hey, get your act together and change and make all the lines straight so that I like you, and then you can come. He never approaches it that way. Sometimes we in the church world can do it that way. We want you to change first and then come. We say receiving grace, giving grace. Well, how well are we receiving and giving grace? Are we saying you have to change and then come? Or do we model Jesus who says, man, come. He was critiqued for that. Jesus was critiqued by the religious because he was hanging out with sinners. They were, they were known sinners. Jesus has no time breaking fellowship with them, being hospitable to them. That's pretty dynamic. You can read that in the next story that follows. Acceptance and forgiveness means we move into a new community, new relationships. We are not isolated individuals. The Christian walk is meant to walk together. We are not just Loners out on our own islands apart from everybody. We are community. And Jesus brings people into community. And it is in community that we grow. We can think that we can grow better on ourselves and give up on the community. But Jesus doesn't approach it that way. We are to travel together. It is always a life together, Bonhoeffer writes. So we're not invited to give up just because people can be difficult. I mean... Jesus was surrounded by all kinds of difficult people. So be it. And finally, we come back to this idea of the friends. You know, the ministry of love of the friends for one another. Nobody's left behind. The friends come and they want to get their friend to Jesus. And then Jesus honors that. And so we're invited into community. We're invited into loving relationships. That is the nature of the the church, behold, the kingdom of God is near. And that means it's calling us in greater urgency than ever to be together and demonstrate the life of Christ to others as a community of faith so that people are, are attracted into this body. 
So may we be loving, may we be encouraging, may we be able to give hope so that others might come to Christ and know him and know the acceptance of the love of God. Acceptance even though we are unacceptable till accepts. May that be our response. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.